Continuation. This goes on up into several verses, up into chapter 6 of Leviticus. And uh, some people refer to this as the guilt offering, what's uh, uh, brought up here in Leviticus 6. And you can refer to it as that if you like. But nevertheless, it is a sin offering. And uh, uh, just like uh, last week when we was uh, going over Leviticus 5, brought up the trespass offering and how some of your headings in your Bibles, if you have those, may say the trespass offering. But the Lord made it clear in his word that it was a sin offering. And this is no different here in the first several uh, verses that we'll read tonight. We're going to read a lot of repetition of things uh, uh, tonight that, that we've read throughout the first five chapters of Leviticus. Uh, so uh, hopefully it won't be uh, mundane to you. It's the word of God. It really shouldn't be. It's uh, even the begats uh, of the Old Testament and, and of the New Testament and Matthew and Luke that we read. Uh, even the begats have got some excitement about them. Uh, you know, when you're reading about genealogies and stuff. Uh, but we'll begin the first verse of Leviticus chapter 6. <clears throat> it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, if a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship or in a thing taken away by violence or hath deceived his neighbor or have found that which was lost and lieth concerning it and sweareth falsely and any in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely. He shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. We'll stop reading right there. Uh, Back to verse uh, verse 2. Well, it begins, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, of course, Moses would be relaying this uh, uh, to, to the people. But it uh, says in verse 2, if a soul sin commit a trespass against the Lord, and this is significant because it says if a soul sin and trespass against the Lord, and then it starts talking about things that we, that, uh, these Israelites, and nowadays that we would do to a brother or sister in Christ, but uh, uh, things that the Israelites uh, would do to one another. But it's calling it a sin against the Lord. So that tells me immediately that to sin against my fellow man is to sin against God. And there are people that will make distinctions between the two. Well, I can promise you if I'm sinning against one, I'm sinning against the other. And, uh, but there are people out there that will try to separate those two and say, well, I sinned against my brother or my sister, but not against God, not according to God's word. Right. 
If, it, if it's sin, it's sin. If, you, if I sin against you, uh, then I have also sinned against God. If you read it again, if a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, and then it continues, and lying to his neighbor. It doesn't say anything about lying to the Lord here. It says he's lied to his neighbor. Uh, and lied to his neighbor, and that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or it deceived his neighbor. This is all talking about the neighbor, but uh, but it's sin against the neighbor, yes, but it is sin against the Lord. Amen. And that that's what we need to be concerned about, is sin against the Lord. If we're sinning against our neighbor, yes, it's sin against the Lord. But our neighbor... Uh, uh, doesn't have power to cast us into hell. Our neighbor doesn't have uh, doesn't have power to chastise us the way that the Lord does. Our neighbor doesn't have any kind of power like that. It is the Lord that we're sinning against. It's the Lord that we're making angry. And if we're born again children of God, it's the Lord that saved our souls. And we should be doing our very best to not sin against God, to not sin against our neighbors. And uh, if you read through the Ten Commandments. You know, the first few commandments, though, the first four, uh, really, are, are how we're to treat God and how we're to act, uh, act toward God and things that we're to do, things that we're not to do. And then the, the last several are how we're to treat our neighbor. You know, thou shalt put no gods before the Lord your God. That's something against, uh, that's something uh, how we would treat God. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. That's how we're supposed to treat our neighbor. Uh, and if you notice, the only thing uh, about the Ten Commandments that has anything to do with us is how we're to treat God and how we're to treat our neighbor. And that's it. Uh, we're not included in the Ten Commandments other than how we are to treat those two, uh, those two individuals, uh, God and our neighbor, God and, and our, our fellow man. And here God is saying that if you've lied to your neighbor, if you've deceived your neighbor, uh, and, uh, and whatever the case is, that you have not only sinned against him, but more importantly, you have sinned against God. Verse 3, or have found that which was lost in life concerning it and sweareth falsely. And any of these that a man doeth sinning therein, then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty. There in verse 4, because he has sinned and is guilty. Well, folks, we're all guilty of sin. These Israelites were all guilty of sin. God had done, God had done showed them that with the Ten Commandments. Because when Moses come down off of Mount Sinai and presented the Ten Commandments that the Lord God had given him uh, to give to the Israelites, I can promise you there wasn't an Israelite present that had kept all ten of those commandments. Every one of them had sinned against God, and, it, and that was brought to their conscience at that time. But uh, again, it says, uh, uh, verse, Then it shall be that because he hath sinned and is guilty. So this isn't that so much that he's guilty of the sin that he recognizes that he's guilty of the sin. He acknowledges that he's guilty of the sin, just like the other offerings that we've spoken about from Leviticus 1 on through Leviticus 5. When they lay their hands upon those, uh, those offerings, upon those animals, and, and, and they lean upon them, and they're, they're confessing their sin when they do that. They're confessing, yes, I've sinned. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be bringing the offering. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting their hand upon it. They would not be trusting the word of God to forgive their sin if they felt that they had committed no sin. So it's a confession. It's an acknowledgment that they are indeed, uh, uh, that they have indeed sinned. So then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away or the thing which he had deceitfully gotten or that which was delivered him to keep or the lost thing which he found. So the, all these things he's saying that, that you've sinned, you, you're, you've acknowledged that you've sinned, and you're going uh, to restore these things to these people. It's much like we read last week in Leviticus 5. You're not only going to restore that which, you've, uh, that which you've taken deceitfully, taken unrightfully, uh, but you're also going to uh, you're going to give some restitution along with that. Uh, the the 20% mark that we talked about last week that some preachers have uh, have used, a few preachers have used, saying that the tithe is now turned into 20% because of sin, and that's not the case. That's not the case at all. A tithe is is still 10%, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I'm going to teach about tithing uh, tonight. But uh, God says you're going you're gonna to not only pay that back which you owe, but you're going to give back even more, uh, 20%, the fifth part, which would be 20%. And a good example of this in the New Testament would be the man Zacchaeus. When, when, Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus saved Zacchaeus, and we all know that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, and he was there with uh, other, other folks, other sinners, uh, and Zacchaeus, uh, he, he said, I'm going to not only give what I've, what I've taken, but I'm going to give back even more than that. And that would be an example uh, of this happening, which Zacchaeus uh, went even beyond the, the 20% uh, mark that's here in the law. But, folks, that's, that's how we should be. Uh, when, when, we've ex when we've had an experience with God, when we've been saved and born again, uh, we should want to do the same thing. I'm not talking about your money. I'm not talking about uh, your, your goods or your material things or anything like that. But we should want to share what we have received. We should want to share Jesus Christ. And we should want to share it Amen. with everyone that we come into contact with. Zacchaeus was so overwhelmed because he realized that he was guilty, as we just read here, and he realized his guilt, and he realized his guilt had been forgiven. And, and because of this, he wanted, uh, he wanted to share his joy. And uh, so that, that's a good New Testament uh, example of that. But uh, in verse 5 again, or all that which about he has sworn falsely, he he shall even restore to the principal, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. This is very significant. Uh, the very last line of that verse, he shall give it uh, to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. So the trespass offering, again, the trespass offering uh, was a sin offering, but God says you're not going to give one one day and do the other the next. If I'm allowing you to make this offering to me this day, you're going to have to make it right with your brother. You're going to have to make it right with your fellow man before I will accept your trespass offering, before I'll accept this sin offering uh, that we're talking about here. Now, 
some people will say where Jesus Christ is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and and he says that if you that if you uh, go to the altar of the Lord, and uh, and therefore you, and that's where you remember that a brother has aught with you, he says go make things right with your brother, then bring your gift to the Lord. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. However, in that Jesus says. You bring your gift to the Lord, but there, there's where you remember your brother has all with you. And then you go make things right with your brother. Now, that, that all could be uh, something like we're reading about here. That brother may have left something in your care and you lost it, or it broke, or whatever the case is. I mean, folks, uh, uh, another example of this would be in 2 Kings, I believe it's chapter 6. Y'all remember where Elisha's students. Uh, they're out there chopping wood, and the axe head flew off of one of the axe handles and went out into the water. What was his worry? It wasn't the axe head itself. It wasn't the water. It wasn't the wood. He said, it was borrowed. It wasn't mine. This guy, give it to me. and Give it to me. It was in my care. It wasn't my possession, but he loaned it to me, and now I've lost this axe head. That was his worry, was that it was borrowed. And, and this, that's kind of what we're getting into right here uh, because it was something that was, that was loaned to this man and, uh, and he didn't do well with it. I ain't saying that he'd done it on purpose uh, or anything along those lines, but folks, we've read over and over in these first few chapters of Leviticus uh, about the ignorant sins that, that the Israelites committed and we've talked about the ignorant sins uh, that we as New Testament Christians uh, will make. Uh, so, you know, whether or not he purposely had the axe head on there loosely or not, I don't think that he did. Uh, that was his concern, was that, uh, was that it was something that was borrowed. Uh, so uh, so he, when, if he would have brought a gift unto the Lord or an offering unto the Lord, he would have had to have went and made things right with his brother just as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, just as God is saying here in the book of Leviticus he says you're going to restore what you took plus a fifth and you're going to do this before I'll accept your trespass offering it must be done in the day that you bring your trespass offering and uh, it, it must be done at the same time according uh, or in the same day according to the word of the Lord. It says, and he shall, uh, verse 6, And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for, any, for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. So again, we read here that the trespass offering, the sin offering, uh, is a ram without blemish, out of the flock. It says, with thy estimation, we spoke about that last week, how they would bring this offering and the priest would look at it and the priest would, uh, would inspect, inspect the offering and he would estimate the value of it. And the value of it is the 20% that the person would, uh, uh, would, would pay. So with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him. We've talked about this a couple of different times going through Leviticus. It is the priest that makes atonement for the offer. And it's no different now. The, the, the 
striking thing about New Testament Christianity versus this, uh, versus what we're reading here is there was an offering, but there was a there was a priest, and they were separate. But New Testament Christianity, Jesus Christ is the priest, and Jesus Christ is also the offering. Jesus Christ is, is our all in all, and that's just that's just one of of many many different ways that Jesus Christ is all in all, but not only was he the offering to God, not only was he the sacrifice, not only uh, was he what was uh, the lamb without spot and without blemish, uh, but he's also the priest that, uh, that offers that unto God on our behalf. So the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. Now we read about the deceitfulness of man here, and the, the, the deceitfulness of man against his fellow man or against his neighbor. But once again, as we've uh, talked about in these few chapters of Leviticus, it says it shall be forgiven him. Again, it's not a maybe. It's not a mind. It's an it shall be forgiven him. And I'll reiterate once again that if we if we come to God in faith and repentance, uh, the way that the Bible tells us to, our sins shall be forgiven us. If we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We shall be saved if we believe and we confess. Folks, it's not a it's not a might and it's a maybe. I believe what the word of God says and I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the instructions that we have uh, in the New Testament is to repent and to believe. And if we do these things, uh, the way that God says to our sins shall be forgiven. It says uh, the, the, last, the last little bit of that line says, uh, for anything of all that he had done and trespassing therein, all of his sin, everything he'd done in these verses leading up to verse 7 there, any, any of those things that he had done, whether it was one of them or multiple of them, uh, uh, it shall be forgiven if he does things the way that God says. Now that brings us kind of to the end of the sin offering, which began in chapter 4. Now we begin these laws concerning the different offerings, concerning the burnt offering, concerning the meat offering. We've already been through the law of the peace offering. I crammed all that into one night in Leviticus chapter 3. Then we flipped over to Leviticus chapter 7. Uh, because there's a whole lot more to the law concerning the peace offering than there is these other laws that we're about to read about here. But what you need to keep in mind, these laws pertain to the priests that are, that are giving the offerings. And they're not pertaining to the offerer. They're pertaining to the priests. Uh, so keep that in mind as we read this. So starting at verse 8. In the 6th chapter of Leviticus, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar. All night under the morning and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches. Uh, shall he put upon his flesh and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar, and he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. So back to verse 9 again. He says, Command Aaron and his sons. Who is Aaron and his sons? 
That's the priests. That, uh, the, that's the Levites. That's the priestly uh, tribe. And they're the ones that done the, the tabernacle and the temple service. They're the ones that God commissioned uh, for those things. Not just these offerings that we're reading about here. They're the ones that burned the incense. They're the ones uh, that, that sprinkled the blood. They're the ones that uh, placed the shoe bread where it was supposed to be. And they're the ones that performed all of these things that God commanded over in the book of Exodus. Uh, they're the ones that that uh, are that perform all these things for God, that do all these things. So he says, command Aaron and his son, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. It is a burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar. All night under the morning and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Well, it's not just all night unto the morning, but folks, it was from the morning unto the night. It was from dusk till dawn and from dawn till dusk. There was a continual burnt offering taking place in the camp of the Israelites. It was not to go out. God makes that plain here in these verses that uh, we'll be reading. It says, The priest shall put on his linen, linen garment and his linen breeches. Don't that seem like a little bit of overkill to you? It does to me. He got to put on his linen garment. You read about this in Exodus chapter 28. There's a robe that the priest would wear. And there were breeches that the priest would wear. And God says, you're going to put on both of these things. Uh, this is the law concerning the burnt offering. He said, you'll put on both of these things. And you're going to gather these ashes. It says the, the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches. And... Uh, shall he put upon his flesh and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. So he's got, this is one action that he's got to take. Well, what ashes are these? God tells us right here. It's the ashes of the burnt offering. Now, he's talking about the burnt offering that took place uh, from the night even unto the morning. And uh, Adam Clark, in his commentary, he uh, he talks about this very thing, and Adam Clark was under the assumption, uh, and probably rightfully so, that the priest would take shifts in taking care of the burnt offering, making sure that the pieces uh, were placed inside the burnt offering, or, or on the fire, and uh, making sure that the wood uh, was, was continually burning, making sure that things were going the way that God said that they should go. Uh, remember that it's speaking here specifically off from night until morning but it says he shall uh, put on his uh, his garment and his breeches his linen garment which would have been his robe and his linen breeches uh, and he would take care of the ashes of this why would that be well God makes commandment in his scripture that, that fire is not to go out and if you've ever spent any time around fires, like most of us have, you know that the more ashes you have, the less oxygen the base of that flame is going to be getting. And the less oxygen the base of the flame is going to be getting, the more apt it is to go out. So they need to clean the ashes of the burnt, the burnt offering off. Folks, that fat that they put on the, uh, on the altar there to be burned, uh, it's good fuel and it works well. But it'll only burn as fat for so long. Sooner or later, it's going to get crispy and it's going to turn to ashes. Uh, if you've ever cooked over an open fire, uh, uh, you, uh, you know, that's something that I've experienced myself. Uh, yes, that fat makes good fuel. But it says he's supposed to take the ashes 
which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, he shall put them beside the altar. Then it says, and he shall put off his garments and put on other garments. Well, why is this? Well, I've seen some far left field explanations for the robe and for the britches. Uh, the best one I believe I've ever read or heard was probably by Vernon McGee. Vernon McGee says that uh, the Lord had them put on their robe and their britches, he said, to cover all their flesh. Well, why would that have been? Because it's not by works of the flesh that God accepts us or God accepts our worship, God accepts our service. It's the work of the Spirit. And that's probably the best explanation for that that I've ever heard uh, or read for that matter was the one from Vernon McGee explaining that. But it says that once he's put those ashes beside the altar, he's to change his garments. Why is that? Well, folks, when you're... You, you all that use a grill, I don't, but you all that do or a smoker or something along them lines, do you not get dirty when you're cleaning it off? Do you not get black all over you? God says he's going to take these ashes, put them next to it, and he's going to change his garment. The priest will change his garment, and then he's going to carry those ashes out to a clean place. The dirty work's already been done, getting the ashes off the altar. They're sitting beside the altar at this point. He says you change your clothes, you take them out to a clean place. Why a clean place? Why in clean clothes? Folks, this is, this is significant. This is another one of Vernon McGee's thoughts, not my own. Vernon McGee says, and I'm, and, uh, I'm persuaded to believe, uh, or to agree with him, I should say, that he says that the priest would carry these out to a clean place because even the ashes, even the ashes were polluted with sin. That's, that was the picture that was being painted in all of this. So if we're carrying them out to a clean place, it should be a clean person, should it not, that's carrying them out to a, to a clean place. But not only that, folks, not, and you can, you can go off on all kinds of spiritual planes and come up with all kinds of reasons for this that you want to, but it all boils down to the fact that God said this is the way it was to be done. It, it wouldn't matter if he told them the priest, you're going to put on a tank top Bermuda shorts and carry those ashes out to a clean place. Or an unclean place for that matter. If that's the way God said to do it, that's the way it needed to be done. It boils down to the fact, regardless of what spirituality we can get out of this, uh, regardless of what New Testament application we can get out of it, it's a simple fact that God said this is how it's to be done. And this is the commandment for the priest as to how they're how they're to do it. Verse, uh, verse 12, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it, and he shall burn there on the fat of the peace offerings. And again, I know we went over this in chapter 3 when we went over the peace offerings. The peace offering was never the initial offering. The burnt offering was continually on the altar. Now, people could bring uh, separate burnt offerings if they wanted to, and that was fine. But there was one burnt offering uh, offered for the morning oblation and another burnt offering offered for the evening oblation. And if people wanted to bring another burnt offering, that was fine. But the peace offering was always laid on top 
of the burnt offering. The burnt offering had to do with atonement. The burnt offering had to do with a sacrifice that had been made to, to, to reconcile men back to God. And the peace offering, if you remember from Leviticus 3, that was because peace had already been made with God. Man had peace with God. And they were celebrating this peace that they had with God. But there had to be a sacrifice first uh, in order to have that peace offering. So it says uh, again there in verse uh, 12, he shall burn there uh, on the fat of the peace offerings. Thereon he's burning it on top of the burnt offering. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. These verses here, uh, as well as many other verses that we find throughout the Old Testament, are some of the verses that people will use that say that God is finished with Israel. God will have no other dealings with Israel because the fire is no longer burning. And that's proof. You read in Leviticus chapter 9, I believe verse 24, where the fire that burned upon this altar was the fire of God. It was not a man-made fire. Uh, it was fire that God, uh, uh, the fire of God himself. And uh, like I said, that's in Leviticus chapter 9 that we read about that. But they say the fire is no longer burning. Those Israelites let it go out. God's done with Israel. No, folks. No. There have been promises made to Israel that God has yet to come through with. And God is not a man that he could lie. God is not finished with Israel. I'm not going to teach on that uh, particular thing tonight, but God is not finished with Israel. Do you think that they kept that fire burning when they packed up the tabernacle and they wandered throughout the wilderness? No. No, they didn't. It wasn't continually burning. But while the tabernacle was set up, that fire was to be burning. The, the, and the burnt offering, the morning, the evening oblations, they were to be given while the tabernacle was set up. That's the instructions of God. But I promise you, there was not a fire burning while they were carrying these things around in the wilderness with them. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar, it shall never go out. And this is the law of the meat offering. The meat offering we read about in uh, uh, chapter 2 of Leviticus. And I told you all then that uh, some people refer to that as the grain offering, and that's fine uh, to refer to it as that. So we're going back to chapter 2 now. And uh, it says, and this is the law of the meat offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before uh, the altar. Once again, he's specifying the sons of Aaron. These are laws concerning the priests uh, that are in service to the Lord. And he shall take of it his handful of the flour of the meat offering and of the oil thereof and all the frankincense which is upon the meat offering and shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it unto the Lord. And we read these things, uh, these basic things over in Leviticus 2, uh, chapter or verse 16. And the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. With unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation shall they eat it. And I told you all when we were going through Leviticus chapter 2 that uh, it was referred to as a grain offering and that uh, not, not only was it an offering to God but it was a uh, part of it was given to the priests for them to eat and I told you all then I said we'll read about that here in a few weeks when we get to it well we're at it tonight this is uh, this is the priests having fellowship with one another with this grain offering was something that was brought unto God 
Now, remember, all these offerings were brought to God. But God says, this is your part of my offering. This, uh, you know, you burn what I tell you to burn, but you keep and you eat. You know, you bake and you eat. What I, however much of it I can tell you to do so. So here's these priests uh, eating, these, uh, eating part of this offering. It says, with unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place, in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall eat it, and we can uh, rightfully assume it's speaking about the outer court of the tabernacle of the congregation here. It shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. Well, who is the them? That's the priests that we're talking about. He says, I've given it unto them. This is their portion. Remember, uh, we talked about it a couple of chapters ago that the Levites did not inherit any land. They weren't promised any land when they were to enter into Canaan because they were the ones in service of the Lord. So God says, but I'm not going to let you starve. I'm not going to let you go without money. I'm not going to let you go without eating or without drinking or whatever the case is. So I'll, I'll still take care of you. This is one of the ways that God done so. He says, uh, I've given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy as is the sin offering and as the trespass offering. The males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Everyone that toucheth them shall be holy. This is a very significant verse as far as New Testament application goes. He says, all the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. Well, who are all the males among the children of Aaron? We've already answered it tonight. That's the priests. All the males of the children of Aaron were priests. That's the tribe that they were with. That's the assignment that they were given. That's, that's what God consecrated and sanctified them to do, was to be priests for an entire nation of people. He says, all the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. Well, how is that so significant as far as the New Testament application goes? Folks, the Bible tells us that we're kings and priests. Everyone, every, everybody that's saved, everybody that's born again, everybody that's part of the, the church of the living God, everyone that's, that's the, the part of the bride of Christ, we're all kings and we're all priests. So if this applied, all the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. And this is talking about a, a celebratory thing that they're doing. It wasn't just a meal. It was a celebration they were having. And it was fellowship that they were having. And all the males of the children of uh, uh, all the males of the children of Aaron were able to take part in this. And if if the New Testament says that we're all kings and that we're all priests, that means that everyone that's born again. Can take part in this celebratory feast and in a fellowship feast with our fellow man, with brothers and sisters in Christ. We can all uh, uh, do this, whether you're male or whether you're female. Uh, we we can all do this uh, because we're all we're all uh, we've all got that common ground in Jesus Christ. 
We've all been washed with the same blood. We've all been forgiven of sin. There's, uh, there's very little that differentiates me from you. And there's nothing that differentiates me from you as far as the forgiveness of sin goes. You may have committed sins that I haven't, and I may have committed some that you haven't. But nevertheless, we were all sinners, and nevertheless, Jesus Christ died for every one of us. Amen. And his blood uh, was able to wash away your sin, regardless of what it was, and able to wash away my sin regardless of what it was. So we were all able uh, to take part in, in a New Testament celebration. I'm not talking about uh, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb that, we're, uh, that we have in the book of Revelation that we read about. I'm talking about here and now. We can all fellowship and we can all celebrate that we've been forgiven of our sins uh, through Jesus Christ. And we can do that together and that and Encourage one another with that. Verse 19, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and of his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day uh, when he is anointed, the tenth part of an, of an ephah of fine flour for a meat offering perpetual, half of it in the morning and half of it thereof at night. In a pan it shall be made with oil. In a pan it shall be made with oil, and when it is bacon, thou shalt bring it in, and the bacon pieces of the meat offering shalt thou offer for a sweet savor unto the Lord. The priest of his sons that is anointed in his stead shall offer it. It is a statue forever unto the Lord. It shall be wholly burnt. So this is kind of odd to read, but not really. Once again, this is instructions from God to priests. Uh, to those that are in his service. He says, this is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day when he is anointed. The tenth part of an ephah of fine flour. This is specifically talking about the priests. Where would they have gotten that flour from? The only place they can get that flour from is from other people bringing their offerings. So God says, you're getting part of that but I want a tenth from you. This excludes no one from giving to God. And I ain't talking about you necessarily about your money. I ain't talking necessarily about anything. But every one of us, if we're born again, we should be giving our lives unto God. We should be giving, giving our heart unto God. Be giving our, our soul and our being and our praise and our worship right. and our thoughts and everything about us. It goes to God. No one is excluded from that. Amen. And it ain't just 10% of your heart that you need to you need to put towards God. It is your whole being. When Paul, Paul said that we should give ourselves a living sacrifice unto God, and he said, which is our reasonable service, uh, that's our whole selves Paul was talking about there in Romans chapter 12. We give that unto God, but folks, Remember when Paul wrote that, he was writing to people that were already saved. He was writing to the Roman church, to those that had professed Christ, those that had already uh, believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. And he was reminding them that we should give ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Folks, we all need that reminder. Because there's times in every one of our lives that we want to hold something back from God. We want to hold something in our lives back from God and say, no, this is mine. I'm going to hang on to this for just a little while. You can have about 80% of it, but I won't keep about 20% of it. No, that's 
not how this thing needs to work with God. God gets all right. God gets all of us. Everything about us. We covered that a couple of chapters ago. He gets, uh, I mean, folks, not, not only in, in all of this are we reading about the, the priests and, and the instructions for the priests and the laws concerning uh, the priests, but this also shows here in the priest giving a tithe of the, of the offering that other people had, had brought unto God. It also shows that God owns it all anyway. Amen. So why not just go ahead and give it to him? He owns you. He owns me. He owns the saved. He owns the lost. He owns the earth. He, he, and, and, and the fullness thereof. It's all God's. It's all God's. Now, granted, in the first part of this chapter, we were reading about that one Israelite deceiving another one out of something. Or taking something. Or robbing someone of something. Something along those lines. So that shows that God will allow us to put our claim on the property. But ultimately, ultimately, when it boils down to it, it's God's regardless of whose hands it's sitting in. Regardless of whose driveway it sits in. Regardless of whose house it's in. It's all God's. God says, these people have brought the, the, the Israelites. The rest, of the, the rest of the children of Israel have brought their offerings to you. And you've taken part of that offering out in a, by a handful and you've burnt it on my altar. And you've gotten the rest for a fellowship feast. For fellowship with your fellow man. For fellowship with me. He says, you've gotten all these things. But now I want to tempt from you also, priests. Folks. Once again, you said just a little while ago, we're all kings and priests according to the New Testament. We're all kings and priests. So we give we need to give our part to God. And once again, I ain't I ain't talking about what you throw in the offering plate uh, on Sunday mornings or whenever. I'm talking about yourself. It needs to be given to God. Uh, but this is the uh, I'm sorry, I done read there, verse twenty. Verse twenty one. Back to verse twenty two. The priests uh, and the priest of his sons that is anointed in his stead shall offer it. It is a statute forever unto the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. So this offering, the, this tithe offering, whatever you want to call it, of the tithe or the offering that people have already brought to God, God's saying you take that part, you, you burn it on the altar, it shall be wholly burnt. You don't keep any of it for yourself. That part is mine. Just like we read a few chapters ago. All the fat is the Lord's. All the fat belongs unto God. Because, why? Because that was the choicest part of the, the offerings that were being brought in. And we, and we read that and we think about it and we, uh, and we think that's just nasty. Not to these folks here. It wasn't. That was the, best, that was the most choice, choice cuts of the meat. But God says that part's mine. But I'm not leaving you out. He says all the fat belongs under God. For every every meat offering for the priests shall be wholly burnt, it shall not be eating. Once again, you can come up with all kinds of weird left field spiritual stuff for this. It simply boils down to the fact that this is the way God said it would be. This is the way God wanted it, and that's the way that it needed to be. Verse 24, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speaking unto Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. 
The priest that offer, offereth it for sin shall eat it, and the holy place shall it be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. Whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. When, uh, and when there is sprinkled of the blood there, thereof upon any garment, thou shalt wash uh, thou shalt wash that whereon it was sprinkled in the holy place. But the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken, and if it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. Back up to verse 25 again. Speak unto Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. He says, In the same place that the burnt offering was offered or, or was killed, the sin offering needs to be killed in that same place. Why is that? That's where the bloodshed was. That's, and, and blood is what does what? Blood is what atones for sin. All these offerings that we're reading about in these uh, first several chapters of Leviticus, we're talking about atonement for sin. And we're talking about our, or these Israelites, fast forward a few thousand years to us, and our reaction to atonement for sin. Uh, once again, the peace offering was given as a reaction to the burnt offering. For, to be being reconciled back to God, and uh, all these offerings, though they all, uh, uh, all the blood offerings, they all speak of atonement. Though uh, we know the Bible says in the Book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, and it's uh, it's been that way uh, since uh, the get-go. Uh, you know, we talked about it here. Adam and Eve, God killed innocent animals to take their skins and cover Adam and Eve because their own efforts with the fig leaves were not sufficient. Folks, our own efforts will never be sufficient to cover or to get rid of or to wash away our own sin. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that that will ever happen. But he says, in the place of the burnt offering, uh, the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord? It is most holy. The priest that offered it, offereth it for sin shall eat it in the holy place shall it be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation uh, this is something that we've read a couple of times throughout these verses is the court uh, the tabernacle of the congregation remember these laws pertain to the priests and only to the priests uh, but it keeps uh, referring to the court of the tabernacle of the congregation these priests were in service to the congregation. The congregation was the entire nation of Israel. It wasn't just the tribe of Levi or Aaron's sons. The congregation was a few million people that these priests were in service to. Uh, and we need to keep that in mind. That's something that a lot of preachers and pastors nowadays need to keep in mind is that they are in service to their flocks, to their congregations, to those that walk in their doors. Uh, they're not to be put up on a pedestal. They're not to, certainly not to be worshipped. And they're, they're not to be treated as gods or, uh, or as uh, a god for that matter. They are in service uh, not only to their congregation, they're in service to whatever community might surround uh, that church. They're in service to everyone. That's a position that God gives these Levites uh, to, to be in service not only to God, but to the congregation of the children of Israel. 
And that's something that uh, all these offerings, all the all the actions uh, before and after uh, the offerings were made, what we read just a little while ago about the taking the ashes, placing them beside the altar, and then taking those ashes out to a clean place, uh, all of these things were, were done in, in service to the congregation of Israel because God said that fire is to continually burn. God said you remove the ashes. God said you wear your britches along uh, with your linen garment. God said all these things. And if they had not done that, the, the congregation of Israel would not have had priests. They wouldn't have had intercessors between themselves and God. And that's exactly what the priest done. I understand that Moses was the intercessor uh, in the Old Testament between God and the Israelites. But these priests, they, stood, they also stood in a gap between God and, and the Israelites, the other uh, tribes of Israel. Because without their service, without what they were doing, those Israelites uh, would have been hopeless because the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Judah, they weren't given the assignment of the tabernacle service by God. Levi was. And if Levi had failed in what he was doing, there would have been no service. And therefore, there could have been no reconciliation. Therefore, they, they couldn't have done any of these things themselves because God says over and over throughout these chapters we've been reading that the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven of his sins. The tribe of Judah wasn't priest. The tribe of Reuben wasn't priest. The tribe of Benjamin, they weren't priests. The tribe of Levi was priest. So we need to keep that in the uh, in the consideration, but uh, verse twenty eight, no twenty nine. Oh, let's read twenty eight again. But the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken, and if it, it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed with water. Speaking uh, of the blood. In the previous verse to this, uh, God says that uh, if it's in an earthen vessel, it should be broken. And if it's in a brazen pot, it should be scoured. We all know what scoured means. It means you, you scrub it, and you scrub it really well. And uh, scrub it with uh, basically as hot a water as you can. We all know what a scouring pad is. And there's a reason that it's called that, because you scour things with it. Uh, but uh, you scrub all this blood out. You, you get that out of there. So that it's prepared for what? For the next offering. For the next round of blood. And that's something else we need to keep in mind as we're reading through these chapters. Is these things had to be done continually. Over and over and over again. But you read, praise God, over in the book of Hebrews. That Jesus was offered once and for all. Amen. And when his work was completed. He went to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. And it talked, of, and it talked over in the book of Hebrews how the priest continually done these things day in, day out. It was every day they had to go through these motions. Every day they had to scour the pots. Every day they had to break the earthen vessels. Every day they had to uh, put on their linen garments and their linen breeches and carry the ashes off and make sure it was a clean place that they were doing it to. Over and over and over, these priests had to continually do this. But when the, the work was finished, that everything we're reading about tonight and everything we've read about in Leviticus 1 through 5, when that 
when those things were done, it pointed toward the work of Jesus Christ. And when his work of redemption was finished, there was no need to stand. There was no need to continue. Folks, there won't be any more sacrifice made for sin. The sacrifice has been made. That's something, uh, something else we can think about as we read this. Uh, all the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy. So here we read again, all the males of the priests, and we can go back to a few verses to where we uh, talked about that a little while ago. All the males uh, of the priests, that was, that was all the sons of Aaron, but once again, we're all kings and priests. Therefore, we could all uh, take part in New Testament. The New Testament church, we can take part in a, in a similar celebration as, as these are here. All the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy, and no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire. So God commands that no sin offering whereof any blood any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile. I love that word reconcile. But God specifies, he says, nothing that is brought in concerning uh, the blood uh, in the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten. If it's for reconciliation purposes, God says you're not to eat that. That's mine. Folks, Jesus Christ was God's plan. Period. From the very get-go, Jesus Christ was God's plan. And he's not to be used for our own glory. He's not to be used in a way outside of God, uh, outside of the way that God prescribes in the scriptures. Uh, he, he can't be used, period. He's God. He uses us. He uses us for his glory. He uses us for his honor. He uses us for his service. And, uh, and his blood, unfortunately, has been taken for granted. It's been misspoke of. It's been mistreated. All kinds of things have been done with the blood of Jesus Christ, been trampled on by sinful men, uh, been uh, trodden underfoot of sinful creatures. For years now, for 2,000 years, that has been done. But praise God, there's always a remnant. Praise God, there are some people that believe in the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. And they haven't uh, used it for their own selves or for their own sakes. God has used it to cleanse them and to make them uh, children of his own. But uh, again, where of any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall, uh, shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire. Just as Jesus Christ suffered, God says the blood, the offering that is meant for reconciliation shall be burned in the fire. Just as Jesus Christ took the wrath of God upon himself, uh, this, uh, this offering uh, was to be used in such a manner. And it is to be viewed even now, 3,500 years after this was written, it's to be viewed in the same uh, manner, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. And it's not to be taken lightly. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churchgoers that take it lightly. They take the book of Leviticus lightly, and they take all of the New Testament lightly. 
thank God it's all unicorns and lollipops and Pop-Tarts, I guess. Folks, uh, God is very serious about sin, and every one of these sacrifices shows how serious he is about sin, and every one of the commandments that he gives, and especially that last one that we just read uh, about the, the offering and the blood uh, being used for reconciliation. It's not to be uh, used by us, it's to be used by God for us. And it was to be burned on the altar. Anyway, that wraps up Leviticus 6. Next week, we should be able to finish up fairly quickly in Leviticus 7. Uh, it actually continues on with the laws, we've actually, but we've already covered most of Leviticus 7. So we'll go through the first 10 verses, I believe, of the 7th chapter of Leviticus, and then the last few verses of Leviticus 7. And that will take us as far as I would like to go in Leviticus for this round. Anybody got any questions about what we talked about?